You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Hey folks, have you ever woken up on somebody's couch in a cold sweat, suddenly realizing the only thing that you're really good at is safely ascending some otherwise useless piece of rock in the middle of nowhere? And also realizing that at any moment, the owner of that couch is probably going to finally kick your ass back out on the street? Well, don't despair, my young freeloader. All Access Services is here to help. All Access Services offers classes, certifications, and equipment designed for you to take those climbing skills and that unhealthy lack of fear of heights and turn them into cold, hard cash. Rigging and high access work just might be your ticket off that couch and into your own sprinter van. Get a hold of All Access Services at allaccessindustrialtraining.com. That's allaccessindustrialtraining.com. And make sure you tell them that the EnormoCast sent you. And maybe someday, you'll own your very own couch. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing it at? You, are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big place. That's, out. Out. That's a big nice. place. You sold oh, it out. I'll see. We really should. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed climbing with you. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Good weather. Bad weather. Now or later, anytime. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment. With support from Maxim Ropes. And don't forget our friends at Defiant Bean Roasters. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Norma at checkout for a discount on great coffee. Or click on the Defiant Bean banner at enormacast.com for more information. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Norma Cast. This is your host, Chris Kalouse. It is January 15th, about 9 o'clock Mountain Standard Time, and this is episode 50, a conversation with Chris Kalouse. Yep, that's right. Some of you asked for it. Some of you hoped it would never happen. My friend, Brendan Leonard, friend of the show, the mastermind at semirad.com, came by and uh, offered to interview me for episode 50, and that's what we did. And since I do go on and on, you'd expect nothing less. I'm going to try to make this introduction short. You probably remember Brendan Leonard from episode 17. If you haven't listened to that, it's one of my favorites. Go back and check it out. But I also want to mention that Brendan has a book out. He's cruising around the country right now promoting that book. It is called The New American Road Trip Mixtape. Brendan has a very modern voice in his writing, and yet somehow manages to imbue it with some age-old wisdom. The whole reason I even know Brendan is because of uh, an article that he wrote in Mountain Gazette, and that's what prompted me to invite him on the show, and we've become friends since. So anyway, if you want to check that book out or his other writing or find some dates when he's going to be signing that book or reading from it or just randomly throwing them at strangers, go to semirad.com. You will not be disappointed. Okay, also, I want to mention again for the UK listeners, now that I know where that is, 
Back in the Hazel Finley episode, episode 48, I mentioned that there is a deal to be had at overhangclimbing.com. If you guys go to that site, they do outings, they sell some gear, they put on lectures. Anyway, if you go to that site, whatever you order, enter Enormo10 at checkout and you'll get a discount. And the Enormo cast will also get a couple pounds. I don't know what it'll be after the conversion rate, but who cares? Now, let me tell you something. I know I don't have a ton of fans in the UK. However, if someone were to buy something from overhangclimbing.com, use Enormo 10 to check out, proving that I can reach my hand across the Atlantic Ocean and influence the behavior of someone in a different country that would make me feel godly in my might. So please, somebody do me a favor. Use Enormo 10 at checkout overhangclimbing.com and make me feel like a god. Okay, on to the interview with me, myself, and I. Not much to tell you. I just want to thank Brendan Leonard for stopping his van, the semi-rad van, in Carbondale for an evening to sit down in the RV and interview me with his lovely gal Hillary sitting quietly, very, very still in the background, not wanting to rustle her down jacket. Anyway, this was recorded back in October. A few things have happened since then that I talk about in the show, but you get it. Time travel, podcast time travel. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Normcast. And for those of you who already think I talk too much, you might want to skip this one. I'm ready when you are. Yeah, go for it, man. Let's okay. do it. Let's do the interview. <laughs> uh, so every every show, I don't know if you're, I don't know if you do this every time, but you you were for a long time where you talk to people. Sometimes it comes out and like you have to keep backing up people's history as a climber. You first were asking people what kind of climber are you, uh-huh. but I think we need we'd like to know, um, or people would like to know what got you started as a climber. Like let's start at the beginning and then. Maybe I'll ask you a little bit about where you've come since then, but uh-huh. talk about where you where you grew up in suburbs of Chicago. I grew up in Iowa. There's no rock climbing there. Mm-hmm. Like what, you know, what was the event that, you know, led you to say, hey, this is something I can do and like kind of made you move to Colorado and then, you know, took your life in that direction. Yeah. Well, basically I grew up, yeah, in the suburbs of Chicago and no rock climbing. Which and, one? Uh, Libertyville, North Suburb, uh, like way out, north. Shout out to Libertyville. Yeah, okay. LBV in the LBV. <laughs> so it, a lot of people probably bought cars there if they grew up anywhere around around Chicago. Right. But uh, yeah, no, no, nothing in in climbing. And the other thing too that that was interesting compared to now is that there was no climbing in the mainstream. All these companies that have have figured out ways to market climbing to normal people, nothing. So. The the thing that happened was I read an article in I believe it was outside about uh John Backer and uh I was really 
What year is this? Oh, shoot. It would have been mid-80s. Okay. Because I would have been in high school, so like 87 okay. or so. Like That's when I was a sophomore, I think. Okay. And I was really into the outdoors. I was into like Midwesty outdoor adventure, like canoeing and backpacking and things like that. Although I know there's climbing there now, but we didn't know anything about it. And uh, I decided like based on this article that I was going to become a rock climber. And that's what I wanted to do because I already wanted to move to the mountains because I was really like ready to leave the suburbs even as a kid. I was was lost in the suburbs, so to speak. So I was like, I'm going to become a rock climber. This is what I'm going to do. What happened was that was kind of interesting is I was in this this weightlifting class. Uh, I would have been a, a junior by this point. So I was like 16, 17 years old. And in the beginning of the weightlifting class, they had you fill out the sheet that said, what are your goals for this class? I was kind of, I was like a rocker kid, like long hair, or as long as my dad would let me have it. And, and I was really anti like football. And, and, and my, my school was like, the movie school football and like the the quarterback dated the cheerleader and i mean honestly you know and the band kids got picked on and like you know it was really yeah. like this total Typical. like john houston you know <laughs> is that his name the breakfast club guy i don't know oh, yeah, probably, huh? but i know yeah yeah but honestly breakfast club the school it was filmed in the actual building was one town over from mine <laughs> To give you an idea, like awesome. really similar. So I filled out this. Sh- I, I thought that the coach for the thing was just this meathead football coach, uh, Randy Kuzieski, his name <laughs> continues to be. And uh, I was like, I had written him off because he was like big, thick neck dude. And I was like, whatever, I'm going to put it down anyway, even though he'll think it's stupid, you know. And I said, yeah, I want to be a rock climber. And that's why I want to, I want to get strong so I can climb rocks. I had never climbed rocks. There was no such thing as an indoor climbing wall. I had, I, all I saw were pictures of, of Backer, like in his little teeny shorts, free soloing for the most part. So I may not even yeah. have understood that you use ropes yet. So I just submitted it and I was like, okay, we'll see what he says about that. And he actually, a few days later, like came over to me and he said, hey, I, I read what you wrote on, on your sheet, you know? And uh, I think it's really cool. And I actually took a Knowles Outdoor Leadership course like two years ago. This was in the 80s. And he's like, I went rock climbing like a couple days on that. And it was it was amazing. He's like, I wasn't very good at it because I'm too big. But he's like, youth, I think you'll be really good at it. And he also was like, I don't really know exactly what to tell you to do, but here's my ideas. You know, you don't want to bulk up. You want to be thin. You want to like get you know, the fast mm-hmm. twitch thing going and the whole thing. So he actually put me on what he thought was a program to become a rock climber. <laughs> so 1987, middle of Illinois or northern Illinois, no idea what rock climbing took. I was I was training to become a rock climber. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody knew about this except for me and him. Okay. Like not even my friends like had any idea how like this little thing was germed up in my brain. This is step one. Yeah, so... Basically, then when my folks wanted me to go to college, and I wanted to go to college, but I didn't really care where, and they said I could go anywhere I want, I applied to uh, Colorado and to Montana, and um, CU Boulder said no. Uh, My grade point average wasn't the best. Mm -hmm. And CSU said yes, and uh, I think the school in Bozeman, whichever one's in Bozeman, they said yes. Okay, you know, little dollar signs in their out-of-state student eyes. Mm -hmm. So I had never been to either one of them, and I said, 
you know, as far as you, when you're from the Midwest, the mountains are in Colorado. That's all you really know is they're oh, yeah. there. So I just decided I would go to Colorado and, uh, I, I moved, when I moved in the dorms was the first time I'd been to the campus. Um, I'd driven through Colorado as a child on a, on a big road trip with my parents. So that was it. I was just like, I'm going to go there and I'm going to find my destiny. And, um, I mean, as cheesy as it sounds like those were my thoughts. I was like that kind of kid. <laughs> like, that's awesome. <laughs> and then the very first day, oh, I got on the outdoor adventure floor. At, at CSU. There was a floor called Outdoor Adventure Floor. Yes, there was an Outdoor Adventure Floor. CSU. And uh, they had just started it. It was the flagship year of the Outdoor Adventure Floor. And it turned out to be a really bad idea. <laughs> but um, it turns out when you're there with all your bros that want to go climbing, you tend not to go to class very much. So, but anyway, I got on that floor and, you know, I th- it's been written many places but like Jonathan Thiesinger from Black Diamond he was on that floor Lenzani who works at Big Agnes now he was on the floor um, Dave Sheldon who became like a, a, a pretty well known alpinist he was on that floor so it was like a pretty powerful like little germinating yeah. unit and uh, so I met these guys right away that knew how to rock climb because they had grown up in Colorado Okay. and within a couple days I had actually learned how to rappel and I had top roped a little bit. At, Where at? Horse Tooth? Yeah, at Horse Tooth. At uh, Duncan's Ridge or whatever? Yes. That, yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, actually, we... Yeah. Is that what it's called? Yeah, Where that's there's right. Like, there's like four little top rope climbs? Well, there's a bunch of top roping up there. Okay. But uh, No, actually, I want to say we were... Not not that this is important, but we were at the uh, um, the one where the, the pinch overhang is, the bouldering spot oh. up there. Either way. I don't know. Horse oh, Tooth. Rotary Park? Is it yeah. Pinch? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But anyway, regardless, I went... Like the very first day, our RA came and Andy Metting, who I actually ran into a couple of years ago, but he came and took us all top roping. He's like, hey, do you want to go top roping? And I said, I don't know what that is. <laughs> He's like, yes. it's rock climbing. I'm like, yes, I want to go rock climbing. Are you kidding me? I've been, I've been working out for three years. <laughs> Getting ready for this. Like, I'm going to crush, dude. <laughs> I did. I actually climbed really well. And also, I look at pictures of myself from back then, and I was like, I was jacked. Stacked, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. way more than I am now. Like, I mean, I wasn't bulky, but I was just like this super, like, I looked like some sort of native, like, guy that would run out of the jungle and stab <laughs> you with, like, a, a huge spear or something. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how I became a rock climber, like, this really weird pre meditation to, yeah. to do it. Huh. You know? Okay. So experience one was horse tooth reservoir. That was the first time I actually rock climbed. Yeah. Okay. In in real life. <laughs> so then, uh, so that was in nineteen eighty nine. Nineteen eighty nine. Yes. So that's twenty four years ago. Probably this fall. Can I put a little addendum on that? Yeah. In two thousand five, I think I appeared on the cover of Climbing Magazine. Which I'm not just saying that to you know, be like, hello, everybody. I appeared on Climbing Magazine um, because of this trip I took to Canada and I wrote an article for it. And, yeah. and some of the shots turned out, an Aaron Black shot turned out really well. And yeah. they put it on the cover. So anyway, I, I packed this 2005. So uh, 16 years later, 17 years later, I packed it up in an envelope and sent it to the school to Randy Kuzieski, who still coach, works who there. Who's still working there. And with a note saying, hey, you probably don't remember me, because um, at this point I was a teacher. Uh, 
as well. And so I, I'm, I was completely clear that your teachers don't remember every freaking student they ever had, especially in that long a career. You probably don't remember me, but here's what happened. Here's what you did, and here's what I'm doing now, and here's my picture on the cover of Glide Magazine. <laughs> and uh, he got back to me and was super stoked, said, no, I don't remember, but I'm so glad. No shit, he didn't remember. No, oh, but, you that's know. That's too bad. That's one thing you learn as a teacher, too, is that yeah. a lot of the things your kids are are thinking are like these really moving experiences. Like sometimes you have no idea, for good and bad, like – you know that you helped yeah. them, but they may have like found it to be the most you know wise thing they'd ever heard anybody say. Yeah, but in vice versa, you know you can you can end up also insulting them or something, and you blow it off as a little joke you made, and they go home and like internalize it, and... or, or like stockpile automatic weapons. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So anyway, so I did get back in touch with with uh, with the coach, and he was stoked. So that's awesome. I wish he wouldn't have said that he forgot you. Though. I like there's this like, oh, sorry. image in my head of him like <laughs> taking this magazine out of the envelope and a single tear. You know. <laughs> 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 he remembered me. Yeah, Listen, no. We did it. You know, like, <laughs> right. like some Disney music or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I actually got back together with my uh, teacher who was the first person to just tell me I should be a writer in seventh grade mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, which was awesome. Like, hey, that turned out to be a kind of a good idea. I mean, I live in a van, but, you know, I mean, thanks, you know. Did but, they remember you? Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. right. Yeah, on. we're friends on Facebook. So. Oh, okay. So... That's 1989. Mm-hmm. You've been climbing for 24 years now. Can you break this up into some stages? Like, oh, yeah, I was focused on, I was going to climb 513D. And then I, you know, that was one era. And then I, and then I moved on to, I know, I think early on you wanted to be a mountaineer, you thought, or yeah, alpinist, alpinist I mean, as we say now, because it's fancier. But Well, not even so much that, but it was, uh, you know, right away, one of the other sort of stories with that era is that, I saw, um, I don't know, somewhere in there, like uh, Andy, our, our the the floor guy, the guy running right. the floor. He he sort of got us all together, and we went to the mountain shop in in Fort Collins, which is still there, obviously. Yeah, and, and uh, we saw a uh, slideshow by Earl Wiggins and Katie Cassidy because they were their oh, their shit. famous book, um, De- uh, um, Canyon Country Climbs. They were on tour selling the book and, and giving a slideshow about uh, it's. It, I don't think it's in print anymore, but it's like a coffee table book of of basically Moab climbing. Yeah. Before anybody knew anything about it, really. And so we went to that, and I sat there in the dark. Honestly, like within a week or so of being there, so like I was fresh to climbing, and now here was this thing with these towers. And again, like Midwest kid, I'd never seen anything like that other than your your commercial or your or your occasional calendar flown in on top of Castleton or whatever. So, yeah. you know, I was just like sitting in the dark, like freaking out, and then I kept hearing Core's name, Leighton Core, because he's uh, you know climbed the Titan and Core Ingles and another Core route, and this was just another Core route, and and so when I got back to the dorms, I hit up my my buddy Scott Fitzgerald, and I was like, because he had he had been teaching me some climbing. Um, not F. Scott Fitzgerald. I know that's a great name. It though. is, but he uh, so he handed me climb <laughs> the uh, the history of Colorado climbing, and he said, "Yeah, l- l- read this, and you'll figure out all about this dude." And so I read that book cover to cover, like within a couple days. I feel like his biography is probably out by that point. Yes, so beyond the well, I got into yeah, that eventually okay. too. But this was the moment, like, of reading about all these guys. Yeah, and so this was '89. That book goes right up to 1978 
So basically, for the next couple of years, I had absolutely no knowledge of climbing after 1978. <laughs> I basically, I based all my information on, so the whole like beginning of sport climbing, all that stuff that had happened in, in the 80s. Didn't know. It was irrelevant to me. So, and, and the guys on the floor too, Scott included and JT, we all were kind of like, yeah. this is what real climbing is. Like you go to the mountains or you, or you do big routes and you do them with gear and you mm-hmm. might aid climb, you might put pitons in and that kind of stuff. So I was sort of like dyed in the wool long after wool was, had been, yeah. had been sort of put to the side. So that was kind of like the first few years. While I was at CSU, so you like repeating old core climbs? And, yeah, trying yeah. to do that and and uh, climb up in the park and climb yep. on Lumpy Ridge yep. and climb in Eldo and and uh, do you know place gear and and get that old school foundation and then started climbing ice pretty quickly, you know, and the, it was still the straight shaft tool days oh, yeah. and, and foot fangs if anybody remembers what those are and and. Uh, so I started climbing ice, and then yeah, I had this imagining of going to the bigger mountains someday. Yeah, because that's what you did. You know, it was like my interview with Randy Levitt. He was sort of the same thing. He's like, "That's just what you did. That was the next progression after right. after learning how to rock climb." You know, because that's kind of was the way it was in. 1978, <laughs> not necessarily in 1989. <laughs> You're just this kid in the dark waiting for Jeff Aki to come and update that book. Exactly. And, which when was that? Was that in the 90s? That you did that? I was just yeah, yeah, because it's got all the way through rifle and all that stuff yeah. in the new one. So. Yep. Oh, that's great. Yeah, so that was kind of like the first era, and I did go to New Zealand for a semester abroad mm-hmm. and climb Mount Cook and some of the other peaks over there. Yeah, um, thinking that that would be. Like you know, the the launching off point of my storied mountaineering career. Yeah. And uh, now sitting here thinking, I'm like, I don't even know what happened to get rid of that. Actually, why I stopped? Well, maybe you got cold. I tired of walking. Yeah, I mean, stuff I, like that. But yeah. I can't think of like an incident or me deciding not to do that stuff anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's life, right? Mm-hmm. You just transition out of it. And I suppose then the next year as I got back and I graduated from college and I started guiding for uh, the Colorado CMS, Mountain School. Yeah. And so um, in that time, yeah, just just focusing on being a rock climber. And, and uh, I was actually teaching and climbing some snow climbing, but I never really dug it that much. So I think I eventually just, they just kept calling on me to cl- climb rock routes with clients instead of Instead of snow, which nice. is, yeah. worked out good. And plus, I never worked there in the winter, so it was all summers. Okay. And that's also kind of when the big wall era started for me. Yeah. Do you want to say free rider? Not yet, because okay. that was a free right. climb. That was later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, what were you getting in the park, mm. mostly? On the Lumpy Ridge. Yeah. Um, and then the Petite... Um, we never. I never guided the diamond. We didn't really get those kind of clients. Actually, um, once you're good enough to climb that thing, at least back yeah. then it was. Just do it. And and um, some of the other like Topher Donahue was was a head guide there, and he, okay. he so he and Ken and Harvey. Okay. Uh, was, so those guys did that stuff. So yeah, the petite, um, a spearhead now and again. So some okay. big rock roots up there. So you're guiding there in the summers. What and what are you doing in the. Are you teaching then? No, gosh, just different climber stuff. Like okay. I went to Australia as like one of my first big international trips, like in '94, and then 
Um, I skied for a season at Alta. I spent a season at the Rustler Lodge in Alta. Okay. Skiing one season because um, I didn't know how to ski, so I figured I'd go learn there. They they provide like, you know, housing and three meals a day and all that sort of thing. So were you a lifty or what? No, I worked in the lodge. I was a housekeeper oh, okay. actually. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, everybody cool has some custodial experience. I think. Is that right? Custodial. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Dude. Come on. <laughs> it wasn't a bad. I mean, people are like, oh. Yeah. I mean, it's a nice hotel, so it's like people usually were pretty clean and yeah. And, we, and the cool thing actually is you worked with a partner, which oh, okay. I, which is really nice. Yeah. Most places I don't think do that. That's a good deal. But yeah, so you just, you know, you could talk shit about skiing all day while you're working or whatever. Yeah. So Yeah. How, how old are you at that point that we're, that we're moving on 23, to? 24, okay. like 25, whatever you get out of college. <laughs> I mean, I only did <laughs> well, four. That, de- that depends on. Yeah, I, only, I did four years. Like, yeah. I just went through it. My dad, yeah. actually, that was the deal. I was, he was to pay for four years and if I didn't oh, that's a good deal if I didn't deal with it in four years then it, I was on my own so yeah that's I took care of it for sure I was ready to get out too by the time it was came running around so okay so you go to New Zealand you're you come back you graduate yep you guide for a few summers yeah while goofing around when did that era end um well it ended and then it started again I it ended in oh, I want a linear history here let's Come on. I moved to California actually in like ninety four, no ninety five, maybe okay. the fall of ninety five. Um, I I, I uh, followed a girl out to Southern California and I started working in um, a climbing gym in SoCal in okay. uh, Costa Mesa called Rock Creation. Yep, which is still there. So yep. there, I'm sure there's some people who listen that that go to that gym. There's a couple, isn't there? One yeah, in well, West LA they, and, yeah, and then okay. I moved. Uh, I worked there, and then we moved up to LA to start the LA gym, the okay. one in West LA. Okay. So, and I was out there for like two and a half years or so, maybe three. Climbing and that's when I was Yosemite. climbing a lot in Yosemite, and and that's when I was sort of some people know my name attached to climbing aid routes on El Cap. Yep. And that was the era when I was doing that. Okay. So that was the big wall era, uh, soloing. Soling roots on El Cap and and all that sort of thing. What brought that to a halt? Um, I just got sick of it, and well, the <laughs> it's too the, much exercise. No, the California thing came to a halt because the girl. Yeah, we broke work. up. Yeah, okay. And I didn't hate living in L.A., but I didn't really love it. Yeah, it was. I mean, I wasn't one of these people that was like super overwhelmed by it. Because like West L.A., Santa Monica, that area is not so bad. Yeah, if you don't get on the highways, it's like. It's like doable, but the aid thing, uh, I literally like, well, you know, the famous aid rant yeah. is jokey as that is. There's obviously a kernel of truth in it, which is why people I think gravitated towards the aid rant because I realized my, th- my hypothesis was that if I kept doing these routes, eventually I was going to fall because mm-hmm. people always ask me, well, what's it like to fall on a four? I was like, I don't know. I never have. <laughs> Like, I really almost never fell. Yeah. I know plenty of aid climbers that do, and I think that's crazy. Um, I mean, I took a few little things, and mostly when I just screwed up even on the easier climbing because I wasn't mm-hmm. paying attention or whatever. And so I just kept doing these harder and harder routes by myself, and and uh, I just burned out, really, too. I mean, you know, I think I changed as well. I think there was something in my personality that probably shifted a little bit away from that kind of up there by myself on the vision quest kind of right. thing. Cause I mean, I was doing like seven, eight day 
missions up there. You know, I did a winter ascent that took me nine days of uh, of a couple combined routes over on the right side. So, wow. yeah, so, I mean, there's something in you that can do that. And then, I, I mean, maybe it stays there. But for me, like, I, I could do it and I can be by myself. There's not like some sort of, you know, I'll freak out. But I don't really seek it out as much as I used to. And I don't yeah. know why I did then either because I, I don't think outwardly I was much different. Like, I think yeah. I was friendly and talkative and... But I could go there and just be like, Argh. like I even stopped fixing ropes. I, you know, came up with a rule book where, where you, you just walked up and started climbing, and if you bivied on top of the first pitch, you bivied on top of the first pitch, <laughs> and that was the way it worked. You know, so these are written rules. Then no, they like, were just they were kind of rules that combine my sort of lack of of enjoyment of being in Yosemite. <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't, I, it's just, it's a hard, for me, it's a hard place to be because you're always on the, kind of on the lam or yeah. you're, you're either packed in with, with camp four where it's like, yeah. you can't get any sleep and you can't because it's just raging all the time, you know, 25 different languages, like yeah. screaming drunkenly into the night. And so I would always be on the, you know, hiding around doing the, the offsite camping, but then you're worried about the bears and you're worried about the rangers. And, yep. And then there was also, which I've talked about before on the show, like at that time, I thought that the, the scene was really negative and kind of dark. People backed that up. Like it was kind of like a low point in Yosemite uh. climbing um, in terms of just a lot of guys hanging around there with like really bad attitudes and a lot of slander, you know, huh. like it was kind of pre-internet, but it it kind of was like the predecessor <laughs> to of it. negative internet forums. Yeah, it was like, like those, I think a lot of... Uh, trolls. Yeah. And the all, troll masters. And all, in all world. honesty, I think a lot of those guys, in fact, I know for a fact... Sit at home on Super They're on now. Super... <laughs> they, they are the group that moved there that are the real, like, hardcore insidious. I mean, wow. I know that for a fact. Like, I, I... That's awesome. You know, so it's like, it was kind of like this little... Somehow, like, you were living in Super Dopo. <laughs> you know? So I would just come in and climb and then go home. Yeah. That was the whole plan. Back to LA. So, okay. Yeah. So, and then I came back uh, here to Colorado to get my teaching license, moved okay. to Carbondale to teach for five years in 2000. And that's when I became more of a sport climber. Um, more of a cragger maybe. Yeah, because like it just, Creek too. I was trying to have a sort of normal professional life. And so now it was a weekend, one week here, one week there kind yeah. of climber yep. versus the big trips right. for forever and ever. And, and then now. that ended in 2005 when I quit teaching. Okay. I sort of regressed <laughs> to back to a climbing bomb. <laughs> a little Wait, bit. Where are you right now then? Uh, I'm kind of stuck in this crappy limbo actually. That I'm I'm a little ups- I'm not super I mean I'm fine with it but I paint houses um, because it's gives me a lot of time to climb but it's like kind of having one foot in the world and one foot in 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 the dirt bagness like I'm not making enough money to be comfortable but you know but I also don't have time to do big trips so I don't know yeah, welcome to like everybody's <laughs> life as a climber who's not like you know who's not. You can't compare yourself to like twenty-four-year-old guys who are mom paying their cell phone bill and car insurance while they go. You know, you got to compare yourself to like 
guys who are selling insurance. Yeah, you know, totally. And like get to climb. Totally. They yeah. Take like one big trip a year, maybe. And right. Like you're living well. You know. Yeah, like the fifty week a year thing, like two weeks off, could never do it. No. I don't understand how people do it. So. I mean, I'm not like there either, but it's just yeah. kind of, you know, sometimes you're like, well, gosh, I work really hard and I don't have any money, but I'm also not climbing. Why not do one or the other? You <laughs> yeah, know well, there's I mean? this, this other thing that you don't throw in the balance. There's a third thing that you're doing now what? in addition to painting and climbing, which is this podcast. Oh, right. The podcast. That a few people listen to. So <laughs> right. that's kind of, that's kind of a thing, you know? Yeah. It does take some time. But. Yeah. Anyway, so that I think covers the whole history of the climbing, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. Well, what do you focus on now? I mean, um... I'm sort of, I've been sport climbing a lot. Yeah. And I climb and rifle a fair bit because I work really hard in the summers and I can only climb on the weekends. Yep. And so, yeah, I mean, I've just, I've actually, you know, I've been telling people too, like last year, I think, you know, it was last year, you know, I climbed harder than I've ever climbed before in mm -hmm. terms of grades, not only sport climbing, but, but in Indian Creek as well. Right. Not that that's not sport. I mean, in my mind, that's sport climbing. Um, but I also, I mean, in, in, in other mediums too, like all around, I was climbing harder, mm -hmm. um, because of sport climbing, like, because I had focused a bunch early on last year in the spring, climbing and rifle and trying really hard. It just flowed into the, into the summer. And then, um, last fall I climbed that route on Castleton, um, ivory tower, the ivory tower, which was like kind of a personal best. You and Sam. Yeah. Sam Leitner's route actually, yes. he, he bolted it. But I ended up freeing the the hard pitch, which I called 13B, which is about as hard as I've ever climbed on anything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's sport bolted, but it's still a second pitch. You got to hike your ass up there to work on it. And, right. And then uh, I climbed uh, a route called um, Learning to Fly, which I'd put the anchors on years ago in Indian Creek and then sort of gave it away. And it became kind of like one of the sort of test pieces for kind of short, hard crack climbing. Um, okay. Also 513 something. And yeah. I hadn't really tried it very much over the last couple of years. And I, I was like, well, I'm really fit. So I went and took that down, which was really cool. Um, so yeah, at 42, I was, or no, I'm 42 now. So I was 41. So it was a good year. Like I can still oh, yeah. climb hard, you know, and that's, <laughs> that's been a lot of fun because, you know, that's something I can incorporate in my life even working and stuff like that right? with, with, with rifle so close and being able to sport climb and that kind of thing. So, yeah. um, but I love how it's like becoming a sport climber is like made all my climbing better. And yeah, I like to try hard. I like to, I like yeah. to have personal best Challenges. regardless of the numbers. Yeah. For me, that's a big part of climbing right now, you know, and, and some people can look askance at that and say, well, you don't climb cause you love it then. Or, but it's it's what motivates me, and I like to perform well, just like at any sport, you know. And yeah. it makes me feel good, even if it's nothing compared to what other people are climbing. You know, there's better climbers, there's worse climbers, and <laughs> well, no shit, there's only two right. people in the world who there aren't better climbers. <laughs> right, know? exactly. Nobody's better than me. Right. So uh, oh, that was that was another question. I was going to say what what motivates you now? Like, what are you? Oh, it's almost the end of 2013. What do you think about like 2000? 14 what motivates you i mean are you just like oh i'm gonna climb 13d this year of course you don't it's funny but what do you think about I well mean, like, i actually did have that goal and it didn't happen i had that, that specific year. goal <laughs> God, what a loser but uh 
it was a pipe dream and and i kind of knew it but it was one of those like you know if you wish upon a star it'll happen you know so i didn't i i i kind of set it as a goal and then i did not do anything to get there so it's it's nobody's fault on my own but think about just sort of yeah to answer your question really i mean the thing that i've realized in the last few years and continues to motivate me and like just happened to me in the red is that more than anything it's like I want to climb with my friends. And if that's, you know, and that also may mean making new friends, mm-hmm. you know, but there was a time in my life when I would climb with, you know, whoever was around. And that sometimes was good, sometimes was bad. But I'm just like, I really want to just be around people that I totally enjoy being around. And we have similar goals, which I think kind of fits into that pursuing hard climbing because you know a lot of the people i climb with here in carbondale that's we're all on that train a little bit you know or most of us are you know we go to rifle and we're trying as hard as we can and we have our projects and right and a lot of times people from the outside looking in can kind of be like oh those guys are in a click or they're like that's all they talk about but it's because that's what people say when they want to be in your click i I know but it's so clicky it's because it's our thing in common and we motivate each other and so we you know, we try hard together and we compete either subtly or overtly together. And that's mm-hmm. a lot of fun. But also, like, I just went to the Red last week for the first time, Red River Gorge. This will come out in the future sometime, so it'll be in the quite a ways in the past. But, you know, I that's met... deep right there. Yeah, you know, we can time travel with the podcast. <laughs> it's the best thing. But, I, you know, I met uh, Chris Hampton, O-Dub, uh, yeah. When he came and did the podcast. I listened to that one. And we, you know, and a lot of people have actually said that listening to it. Like, you guys sound like kind of the same person or whatever. And then Jeremy Collins posted <laughs> something. on Facebook. Yeah. Without knowing that I was leaving to go visit him the next day, that we were the same person. But anyway, I went out there and visited him, and he was an amazing host, and we had a great time, you know. And it's like, I look forward to, like, climbing with him again. And in that case, like, he crushes right now in the red, you know. that's That's been his motivation in, like... Um, but climbing together was totally cool because, you know, he was, we were all trying hard yeah. and that is what motivates you when you sport climb. And even though there was, you know, I climbed with a couple other friends of his from Cincy and everybody had their different level projects and, and we all mostly failed together. (laughs) So it was kind of like, you know, so it's just, I think that's cool. And I'm still motivated to travel. That was my next question. Yeah, I still try to do two or three trips a year. International is what you're saying. Yeah, international, but that's one thing I just realized by going east is maybe I should stay in the country this year. So, I, um, There's plenty of rock climbing to be done in the United States. Well, I had only climbed in Illinois. It was the furthest east. Okay. And so it's like nothing. And so I just set like a personal best on, on eastern climbing with going to the red yeah but that leaves out i mean all that stuff i mean the list goes on and on yeah, and so and sure. i fly over it right to go to europe you know i've been yeah. to europe i think every year now for for several years and and it's just silly i mean i ought to be saving money and going you know to kentucky i don't know the food i mean depending on where you're at in europe you well know. and i love the culture and and yeah. i love history i'm really into history so like when we went i went to rome and you know, just geeked out for days. So, I mean, there's probably history to be learned. And I mean, maybe I could get into Civil War stuff. <laughs> That's down there. So. As uh, my friend Dan was telling me the story about these guys who were in Ireland in the in a bar, these Americans, and the bartender was like kind of busting their balls a little bit, like 
didn't like him, you know, and on their way out, he says to him, mind the door on your way out. It's older than your fucking country. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, yeah. That kind of so. thing. Okay. So you've written on, written for climbing magazines, done a few other things. Mm-hmm. Climbing media wise, this podcast exists because you have a voice and some sort of vision that you want to communicate to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, what it, what is that? What does it represent? Like who, whose voice is it? Like I would put myself as like, oh yeah, I'm just like every man, you know, like I don't really crush anything, but I'm like you in that way. Who is the normal cast? Oh man, that's, it's interesting that you, what you just said about your, your sort of place, because, um, I'm sort of like, I feel like I'm, I try to straddle this world between your place and, and maybe the, the kind of higher up professional place. Mm -hmm. Like I think my voice or, or, or whatever I try to do with this thing is, I don't know, kind of being this sort of uh, medium between those two things. And the reason I say that is because the reason I started the podcast, uh, I mean, the reason I thought I could do a podcast that people would be interested in was because I felt like I knew practically everyone. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And and what I mean by that is not, I mean, it, all these things can sound really cocky, but the, the fact is, is I've just been climbing and traveling and sort of dabbling in hard climbing, like not anywhere near the top, but but near the bottom of the top, so to speak, at times. Like the aid climbing and the wall climbing, you know, that's as close as I've gotten to being like yeah. towards the upper end. Yeah. But because of that, it's like I've just made relationships with, with so many people. And I started to think about it. Again, I always talk about what the fuck with Mark Marin is my mm-hmm. guiding podcast. He was in the same situation of having been in comedy long enough to know everyone. Yep. And some people he had really bad relationships with and some people he had good was, was friends with and then everything in between. And I don't think I have too many bad relationships, but if I don't know the person, I know someone that knows them. Yeah, you're a degree away. And Whatever. that goes from like, you know, old dads down to, I mean, I guess I kind of lose it when I get into the current like bouldering scene and and maybe some of the current sport climbing scene but a lot of times then I'm maybe one or two degrees away but yeah. but like from John you know I used to climb in the gym where John Long used to climb you know and Lynn Hill came in and then I saw her again and saw her again and finally you know enough to where we know each other's name well I always knew her name but she knows my name <laughs> you know and, and I'm not friends with her Um, actually I actually consider her a friend now but you know I just everybody's there and so I thought, well, I could just start talking to these people and I'm not really one of them. And that's what I mean by like, I can also go and hang out at Indian Creek in a crowd of people around the fire. Sort of like I can, I feel like I can cross the two worlds, which is something I've been able to do my whole life with, I think a lot of different groups of people, but it just, it seemed like I could, you know, let everybody in, but with a perspective of, of something like, like most people have of like, wow, those, you know, they're really great climbers. Yeah. And I would never just go up and start talking to them, but so I can go up and start talking to them. Yeah. And I can have them sit down and have a conversation and maybe try to ask some of the questions that, 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 that person would never, you know, they would, you know, if you ran into Lynn Hill, you just let maybe like have her sign something and then walk away. Yeah. So, 
that kind of thing. I mean, that that's sort of the voice, I guess. Perspective. Um, yeah. Where I'm good enough that I think I can garner the respect of, of all those groups. And I know enough about climbing where I'm not just like talking on my ass either. And I think people respect the fact that I under, I know the history and I know, you know, I know about climbing and I can climb a big wall or a crack or I can sport climb. I can't boulder for shit. That's my big weakness, but whatever. Yeah. What does it take to get invited on the normal cast? Like from what you just said, you know, there's, I mean, there's, okay, there's famous people and then there's people like, you know, like Luke Mihal. Like you, Brandon. Me, like me, <laughs> like BJ. I mean, BJ's kind of famous, I guess. But you know, like, I mean, we're not Alex Honnold. Right. Yeah. Who, who are you looking for? You know, I know you're probably like have a checklist of like a million famous people, but like who could, who could come on and be interviewed as like a more of a, you know. Well, I'll tell you, um, basically, I'll interview most anybody that wants to do it. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, 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 it's, is it's, it's still super underground. It's, still, it's not that well known to where I, I definitely approach plenty of people who, who are like, you do what? And it's called what? And oh, maybe, maybe I've heard of it. Right. What is that? But, is that on iTunes? You know, so I, I have always been, or not always, but up until about... Uh, the beginning of this summer, I've always been pretty desperate for content. And at first, I just like, I think I, I wore out my welcome a little bit here in Carbondale of hitting up my bros and people to like, come on, let's do a show. But here, l- let me say this. I do topic shows, what I call topic shows, yeah. which is like with your friends and we talk about something or, and I do the interview shows. And then some of them are kind of in between. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You know, um, and some of them are interviews with like famous climbers, so we talk about their career. And then there's mm-hmm. the ones like with you, who uh, you know aren't very impressive. So let's well, find something else to talk. But about. it's one of my favorites because it was like you know I I don't can't remember why. Oh, it was your article that I read in Mountain Gazette, and then BJ knew you. Yeah, and so there was this angle on, on climbing that was like different, and that's really what I I prefer to do. I think I get way more responses from listeners on those. And I also get a lot more actual responses on the topic shows because we end hmm. up saying something that someone disagrees with or agrees with or whatever. Okay. I bring listeners on with, with interviews with famous climbers. And you brought up Honold. And, I mean, in a lot of ways, he did me that favor um, because, again, we know each other. I've known him for not well, but I I knew him when he was sort of – just kind of making his mark. And, uh, you know, he clearly understood that, okay, this is, you know, because it was right in the middle of the 60 minutes, like, hoopla. Yeah, yeah. And it did. It, it blew this thing out of the water. I mean, you know, we're talking like it got like 50,000 downloads, you know, and the rest of the shows are like less than 10, you know. So, I mean, even the old shows that have been picked up a bunch of times. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it blew it out of the water. So that's good to bring on listeners, but... I want to talk to someone who's going to be willing to expand on 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 not just what they climb, but their life as a climber or whatever. And I I think that sometimes I worry, and I can't even say if this has really happened, but I always worry that you know with a professional climber, I'm just going to get kind of what they're supposed to say beta. about themselves. Oh, well, yeah, and beta. Yeah. But and I still get blown off pretty regularly, especially by that end of the climbing scene. Um, I'll, I'll just say it like the real, 
you know, day-to-day professional climber are the ones that blow me off the most. Hmm. Like, I, I, And again, it's kind of like the newer, younger scene that I don't have this connection to like I've been talking about. And it's frustrating, you know, where, you know, they'll make a date, but I, they won't get back to me or whatever else. Hmm. And, and I, it pisses me off, frankly. It's pissed me off enough to, like, pull away from it a little bit and not worry about trying to get the superstars on. But I also pulled away because I realized, like, well, they're just going to come on and, and, you know, they aren't going to – most of them I don't think will talk really about what it's like or, you know, I mean – I'm Like kinda, they may have experience but not exactly perspective yet because they're very young or Yeah, or just like, like – I mean I happen to, you know, again, my insiderness – I happen to know, like, I can watch some videos, some movies, some climbing movies, and I know what really happened because I know the people that were there. And what's being projected on the screen is not what actually happened, okay? Can be 180 of what actually happened, all right? And yet it's being presented as a documentary film. All those things are. These are not presented as films of fiction. So, you know, those people need to protect that Mm-hmm. because it's their career. Right. So what am I supposed to do when I sit them down at the table? People expect the normal cast to be candid. Be So I'm almost nervous to be there because I know that if I fail, I'll feel bad that I didn't actually like... I, I don't want to play like gotcha, but I, wanna, I don't want to dance around these subjects either. You know, I've tried to get people who, who climb an Everest on, on here. Okay? Mm-hmm. And... I mean, I've flat out been told by friends of mine, no, because it's my bread and butter. I mean, you know, I'm I'm like, yeah, come on the show. Let's talk about what it's really like. But I'm not going to talk about this aspect. Because yeah, because yeah, totally. they want to continue to work. I mean, exactly. I call it the cult of Everest. If you go there and you're being paid or you're paying, then you have to come home and tell us it was rad. Yeah, absolutely. And because otherwise you have, the only other admission is, a, I'm charging somebody for something that's that sucks, or B, I just spent seventy thousand dollars on something that sucks. So, I mean, we're off on a tangent. So, what was the original question? The original question was, what does it take to get invited on the normal cast? And I have a follow up. I think you explained okay. it pretty well. Pretty much, I want to talk about sort of your real self, and I want you to be candid. And you want characters, basically. Yeah. Okay. You know, what does it take to get invited back? I don't know. You're here. Living, <laughs> I think living in Carbondale is yeah, good. Living in Carbondale is A, number one. But I mean, there are guests that I like, I would love to hear again, you know, like even if you guys aren't talking about, it would have to be, like you said, a topic show, but like Kelly Cordis, anytime you put Kelly Cordis on any show, I will listen to it. Cordis has been on three. Yeah. Yeah. But not for a while, right? No, no. But that's, I just haven't seen him. He's busy. Yeah. He's, he's really busy. Yeah. 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 No, he's, there's an open door policy. Um, what do you have to, to, to be invited back? Honestly, you just have to be friends with me. Oh, okay. Is what it comes down to. Because again, I mean, if you're available and you're fun to talk to, I mean, like Hayden Kennedy is a really good friend of mine. Yeah. Um, we, I've known him since he was a little kid. He's also extraordinarily entertaining <laughs> and he's also an amazing climber and he's around. He lives here. So I'll have Hayden on anytime he wants to come on. You should have him on with his dad. I know. Time. I know. It'd be a rad show. I know. Yeah, okay, Michael sorry. said he would do it too. So, I also uh, on that note, I, I I save the locals. 
that's like your that's like your breaking case of emergency. Like, well, because oh, in the past, and again lately, I've been a little bit ahead of the game. But in the past, I mean, I'm trying to do two a month, and I'm like, I don't have anything, and I'm I'm supposed to, I should have put something out like a couple days ago, and I'm real strict my, with myself about that. Not oh, so much should, the dates, but I understand that the internet like it needs to be regular and if it if it falls off like people are you know oh it's done if you're a professional it does if you're not it's like yeah but we've all seen like these blogs like come out of the blocks and then just like oh yeah and then the what's the classic line sorry i haven't written in a while (laughs) it's ultimate i haven't had to do that guess i've been really busy everybody's like no shit i have too come on come on give us our free shit You jerk. <laughs> We're all busy. We're all I'm busy. Scrolling through my smartphone looking for your next goddamn blog. Yeah, it's true, but I've nailed it, man. I've I've hit two a month for almost two years now. Yeah. I mean, come on. You don't have to tell me what it's like, buddy. Yeah. So so I try to i I've got like a few more in the like in the reserve because I can be I can literally be like, dude. Tomorrow I'm coming over, we're talking on the mic. I'm bringing four beers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Any any angle, I mean, any angle I can see with with a guest, and if they Makes if they're going to be willing to be open and have fun with it, then that's my line to people: is nobody doesn't have fun on the the normal cast. I don't think so. Which is a weird yeah. double negative that ends up positive. No, no, that's perfect. That's yeah. a good line. So my mom always tells me, like, you know, have fun, and I say, I am fun, mom. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be fun. <laughs> don't need to. I have two lists of people's names on here. Um, I want you to react to, this is my personal list of recommendations of people to have on the Normocast. And maybe you've reached out to these people. All right. It would just take, take, okay. a, take 10 seconds, 30 seconds. You'll probably say, yeah, I called that guy. I'm trying to number one, Kyle Dempster. Kyle Dempster has agreed to come on through an intermediary, meaning he, uh, one of his sponsors actually asked him if he'd do it, and he said yes, but we just haven't gotten in the same okay. room together. And I know yeah. Kyle. I met him yeah. at the film festival. Yeah. Great guy. Love to have him on. He's so. awesome. The uh, face-to-face thing is also uh, uh, something I've stuck to. I don't. I have not done the Skype interview. Yeah. I don't know whether I'll ever break down and do that, but that's all. it's also a big uh, uh, hurdle. Yeah. You know? So anyway. You could right. do a live one in Higher Ground. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, totally. It'd be so awesome. I got his coffee shop. Okay, Dougald McDonald. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought of that, but I, of course it happened. Oh my on. god, have you ever climbed with that guy? No, I've He's, only you know we've we've interacted through writing for him and over the years and stuff like that. So he's so stoked, like it's unbelievable, and yeah. he has like. See if you can get him to talk about. It. He has. He's got to have like a book of things he knows about Colorado that are untouched. As of right now, and he won't tell people where. Oh, right on. Where he knows. It's, yeah, I'm sure he would talk about that. And he'll just like <laughs> on a podcast. No, I mean, but he'll I'll be like, I'm not recording this part. <laughs> he's he's um, the the wealth of climbing knowledge that guy has, but the wealth of experience. Plus, he's still as stoked about it as he was probably 15 years ago. And like, he'd be an amazing guest. Perfect, Justin Roth. Ah, I don't like that guy. <laughs> <laughs> What's not to like? <laughs> I don't know. He's so I'm, smug. You think he's <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Justin, I've asked him. He's agreed to do it. Um, the only time I ever see him at the tra- is at the trade show, and he's it's just too busy. Then, yeah. So what I'm trying to do, uh, if not this winter, then next summer, provided I'm still doing this, 
is to instead of going just for the trade show, like stay for a couple days after in Salt yeah. Lake because I got a huge list in Salt Lake actually. Oh, for sure. So yeah, he's always welcome. Love, love. Uh, what is it? Stone. The Stone Mine. Yeah, the this Stone Mine. Yeah, yeah, so it's wonderful. Uh, Fitzka Hall. Yeah, man. Fitz, of course. Just as a climber, he'd be interesting. Yeah, totally. But also a media personality. I actually, um, I kind of sort of roundabout asked him to be on my live panel at Five Point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just think it, he was hammered, you know, because yeah. not literally drunk, but <laughs> um, maybe. But no, I mean, when he's, it's the same issue as when he's here at Five Point. So we're he's in the got same a town. Lot going on. I mean, he had the premiere yeah. of, of Road from Caracal and he had. He's on the board of direct. Yeah. On the board and he had his own live thing going, which I stole that idea. I asked him if it was okay, though. Yeah. It was good. It was cool. And I, you know, I, I, as far as fits, and I've said this before. You know, I kind of have this jokey rivalry that I do on Facebook and everything else, but Fitz has been incredible help to me. And like, like I told at the, uh, I think it was in the live episode, he, he actually talked me off the ledge and I was ready to throw it all away, and, <laughs> which, you know, I'll eventually probably punch him in the eye for, but <laughs> did you just call him when you were sobbing? In the no, I was, I was like, no, I was, uh, I was, uh. uh, I was trying to get a meeting with a certain company. Well, actually I'll just say with BD Yeah, and, uh. And I just, I, you know, I t- emailed, hey, can I get a few minutes at the trade show? And I got this email back that just like so blew me off. It, it wasn't even, I mean, it was so, like the way it was worded was so clear that they didn't even give it a moment. It was like a standard no. Yeah. Like insert my name into like this form letter <laughs> no. And I just got so mad and I was just like steaming and I called him up and, uh, he he was busy. He's like, I'll call you back tonight. I'll call you back tonight. Just relax. <laughs> and then I was like in the shower and I hear the phone ring. And I'm like, ah, it's Fitz. I can't. So I like run out of the shower and I'm like dripping in the in my bedroom, like standing there just like, and then they sent me this email. And, and then it was just like, I'm like, what do I got to do, man? <laughs> and he's like, don't worry about it. They don't know what they're missing and they'll come around and blah, blah, blah. They eventually came around. So Yeah. Um, and he was the one. He's like, don't just like let, let that one little thing like stop you like oh, talk sure. to the right person like go around and anyway so fun fact he actually yeah. used to free solo at a pretty high grade which he will no longer talk about okay um maybe i can get it out of get him to talk about it yeah uh rd pasco policy director at the access fund do you know rd no he is a character all right i'll leave it at that okay he's an awesome guy i've i've uh connected with um brady brady yeah and again, it was just like, hey, you should come on this. Oh, it sounds cool, but yeah. then it never went any further. So Either or. RD's awesome. Cool. Brady's like, of course, the face of the organization mm-hmm. more. But I, th- I think they they um, it would be cool for them to come on even every once in a while like and do an update and we talk about what's going on. Yeah. So, um, I, I definitely would approach them about that. So, And actually, any of you guys out there who suggest – people to come on the show like send me an email like the best thing you could possibly do for me is to send that person an email the email intro and say hey there's this cool thing called the normal cast and you should do it because then when i approach them it's oh that's yeah, you yeah <laughs> like i heard about you so anyway but i the the sort of cold attack is oh for know. sure i mean i shook yuji's hand is yuji on there no i don't know how good his english is i shook his hand in rifle 
but I wasn't going to be like, I wanted just to say hello and meet him, but I, it, it, I'm not going to just be like, yeah, you and also you should guy. do my podcast because yeah. then I become this annoying shill. Yeah, know? exactly. So. No, stick to that. That's yeah. good. Uh, Lynn Hill. Lynn, uh, it's in the back. We're, okay. we're, I mean, I don't have it, but but we've okay. her and I have talked about it a bunch, and actually, um, maybe even uh, Russ Clune and I were talking about maybe uh, her and Russ together, like just fully telling stories about the old days. Cause, oh yeah, yeah. Was, and Russ Clune's on the list. He's he's. I went to Columbia with him, and there was like twenty different times where I wish I was recording because he was just <laughs> telling quote machine. Well, and he was stories. you know he knew Wolfgang and like was good friends with Wolfgang Gulich and like yeah. climbed in Europe in the beginning of the comp scene and uh, all those guys. Jerry Moffat, he climbed with Moffat and, and uh, yeah, so, and plus just all the stuff he's done on his own. So God, Can you imagine a UK tour of the normal cast? That'd oh, be awesome. I got a bunch of fans in the UK. No shit. For sure, I'm yeah, sure. yeah. Uh, Frank Sanders. Do you know Frank? No. He's the guy at a Devil's Tower. Oh, no, I don't know anything about him. I, I should almost play you this voicemail I have from Frank right now, but he's, uh, Frank is 63, been climbing Devil's Tower since like 1972, done a, like a shitload of walls in Yosemite over the years, but gray hair, he did cut his hair, so it's short, but handlebar mustache, smokes a pack of camels, a day, camel filters a day, he's been on top of the tower 2,000 times. Wow. Huh. S- um, he's a total flirt. He owns a bed and breakfast there. Mm-hmm. Um, he has two master's degrees, plays classical piano. Nice. Oh, it's amazing. Have you climbed there? Yeah, I've climbed there, um, on two different trips a long time ago. Oh man. It's worth so, a trip up yeah, there. Yeah, for he's sure. He's an incredible character. And the way he talks, I wrote a story about Devil's Tower for climbing in April or May, and I think one of the lines in there is like, if Frank does not speak, he orates. He talks to you as if you're a room full of Perfect. 50 people. Perfect. It's incredible. Nice. You could let him host, actually. Yeah. He's that good. That's the end of my wish list. Well, um, who's on your wish list? In terms of that list, like what that reveals, because a lot of people... Not a lot of people, but some people are like, well, you know, if you do two a month, you're going to run out of people. And it's no, like, no way. No, dude. the list, because, you know, there's the Frank Sanders, but then, you know, every area in the world has the dude or the girl or the couple who were there at the beginning or who have always been there and have the stories mm-hmm. to tell. And we've never heard of them. But when you go to a, pl- a lot of places, they're like, I, people are like, oh, you should talk to this guy. You know, not all those people are always willing to talk. I mean, especially with older generation, you know, the kind of the the reticent like mountain person thing holds true, I think, for a yeah. lot of people. But but a lot of times if you can get them started, they're happy, you know, if you can get them to feel as though they're just around the kitchen table because they've done that a thousand times, which is why everybody knows about them. Oh, yeah, yeah you should talk to blah, right, blah, right. you know, because he knows everything. You know, and when I was in the red, I got that a bunch. Like, oh, it'd be great if you could talk to this guy. And I'd be like, well, would he talk to me? And they'd be like, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe not. You know, you'd have to go find him, like, in the middle of the woods somewhere. But but anyway, so I'm just saying, like, the lists, and when people send me ideas, I take them to heart. They're, you know, but I do two a month, and they're not always that easy to act upon. But, right. you know, if they cross my paths and I can get them to sit down, we'll sit down, you know. So, dream guess. Dream guess. Um, Let's say two. 
Well, it's funny because how do I separate? Like, obviously, you know, there's some like superstars that would be coups, as it were. Um, but you know, one of the superstars, and he's also sort of, kind of roundaboutly agreed to do it. But I'd also be genuinely interested in talking to is Tommy Caldwell. Oh yeah, because uh, he's such a nice guy. I've known him. We do have a past. I've known him since he was a little kid, sort of uh, up in Estes, and uh, you know, I just. I think he's, you know, I think he's sort of America's sort of poster boy climber. We all love him, and and he's clearly like one of the nicest guys on the planet. And you know, there's no there's no attitude, I don't, humility. Yeah, yeah. So so that would be an awesome one. And and like I said, he sort of agreed to do it. I could always just drive up to Estes when he's there. And then uh, let's see. You know, I would say that it's too late. And it probably wouldn't have been a great interview anyway, but Core would have been, you know, oh, yeah. because of my personal connection to him. By all accounts, it, it may not have gone well. He was a, uh, also kind of a shy, sort of yeah, quiet yeah, guy, sure. but uh, it would have been worth a try, you know. <laughs> Andy Kirkpatrick would be awesome, too. Oh, yeah. If we're I, talking Dream Guest, UK tour. Yeah, totally. No, I, I'm, I am Facebook, you know, I get his sort of things on Facebook. He seems really interesting, so. Have you ever, he's done... His public speaking looks – I've done a couple slideshows, and I watch his beforehand because they make me feel better about how bad I'm going to blow it because mm-hmm. he's just like such a low ball guy. He's like his slideshow doesn't work very well, and he's like making all these jokes, and it's like not put together. But right. everybody just eats it up, and they're just laughing their asses off the whole the, time. Uh, who's the the strong guy, the British guy who lives in France now? Um, Stevie Haston. That'd, oh, be, okay. that'd be something I'd be really interested yeah, in doing, too. he seems like a little bit of a curmudgeon. Totally. Yeah. It'd be yeah. awesome. For sure. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go. I have a short list of show guests you've had. Your impression in 15 seconds or less. Number one, Craig DiMartino. Craig DiMartino, by far the most inspiring of the interviews I've done. Um, I'm also living in its shadow because it's everybody's favorite. But, uh, yeah, Craig, meeting Craig and interviewing Craig – Honestly, was uh, one of the sort of great benefits of this this project. He's awesome. I'm going to ask you also, you have to name the episode number corresponding to each 11. I'm just kidding. You don't have to do that. I know that one's 11 because, okay. like I said, everybody brings, oh, so great. Yeah, 11. Uh, James Lucas. The story behind James is that I, when I interviewed him, I pressed stop, said goodbye to him, and was like, that's useless. <laughs> and then I was stuck and I didn't have anything and I listened to it and I laughed my ass off through the whole thing and so I was like let's use it and every and it's also a lot of people's favorite <laughs> that's awesome uh Alex Honnold Alex Honnold was a lot more open than I expected him to be okay about everything um and frankly a lot more congenial than I expected him to be okay. and it was great and very generous Henry Barber Henry Barber and I were both hungover. <laughs> that's that's how you sum up hanging out with Henry Barber. <laughs> and, and you can actually feel the interview like get going as we both cleared our heads. <laughs> uh, Kelly Cordes. Kelly Cordes is a huge supporter of the normal cast and always brings it. And uh, every episode's been been. Uh, Amazing with Kelly for sure. He always brings it if you sit him down at a yeah. coffee shop. Yeah. You know? uh, Hayden Kennedy. HK, like I said earlier in the show, uh, a man wise beyond his years and 
um, hilarious, humble, but but also super cocky in this weird way that just makes you love him. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is a tough one. Kevin Landolt. Uh, again, like one of those experiences that I would never have had if I hadn't started this project. And um, I'm going to go over 15 seconds with this one. But, you know, while I didn't know Kevin, um, while I was doing it, the elephant in the room was that he was dying. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, he mentions it in there that there was probably, you know, 10% chance. And though we talked about getting better and everything else, like, you know, it was it was definitely in the room. And I made it through the whole thing. I, I think we wept a little bit. I mean, we both cried a little bit wow. in one part. But I totally, on the way home, you know, I said goodbye. And, and, and we talked quite a bit afterwards after the interview and everything. But And I just, like, driving up to Eisenhower Tunnel, like, lost my shit. Man. Like, pulled over and just... Couldn't drive for like 20 minutes, so, so I it was think, pretty heavy. I think the hard part of that is you can hear sometimes when he has like that hope, and I knew he'd mm-hmm. die before I listened to it, because oh. I think I followed his blog a little bit, but mm-hmm. I was just like, ah, uh, you know, like it's, it's such a tough spot. I mean, we, obviously you hope, and he hoped, you know. That and, something worked. And a, and a lot of people have written me since, since, you know, that found out or has listened to it, and then, you know went to his blog and found out, which is, I've wondered if I should go and put something on that episode. Um, but I, I just never did and mm-hmm. I couldn't decide, but you know, like, wow, I listened to it and then found out. And, you know, I've just, I've had sort of interchange exchanges with these people and, and, and that was really the truth of the situation. And, and part of his courage, I guess, was that it was that bleak and he still was like, I'm, I'm going to do this, you mm-hmm. know, but, uh, but yeah, it's it's just a shame that I didn't sort of know him beforehand. You know, yeah. that that's kind of the loss of it, I guess. For me, obviously. Just for me. So Yeah. All right. Um this'll be episode fifty. What uh you can see a little bit of an evolution in it where it kinda started out it almost was like, you know, he's just gonna really interview his friends and it's like getting you're getting some access to some people who are traveling a little bit and stuff like that. What do you see? What do you see happening over the next? I guess it'll be two years if it's the next fifty episodes. But where do you want to take it? You want to make it a significant part-time job? Do you want to bring on Duracell as a sponsor? Do you want to get it to, on ESPN Radio or? Um, realistically, I'd like it. Oh, that's a good question. Do you want to put it on a series of compact discs? Uh huh. Yeah. People can order <laughs> compact discs. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're like little. They uh, still make those. Yeah, you put them in. <laughs> there's a player. Right. Is it still in some cars? You have to get a player <laughs> yeah. for it. Um, you know the the whole evolution of this thing has been kind of kind of weird because I didn't have a master plan. There was no business plan, but uh, the the. I'll say it based on like the the limitations that I see right now is is that travel thing. Mm-hmm. Like if I could have income from it that so that I could take time off from my real job, you know, that was felt semi compensated mm-hmm. and have money to travel, I think that would really make the show better. 
because again, like I am really aware of its regionality because of the fact that I have to have these people come by. Mm-hmm. So it's very Colorado centric, you know. Um, and I've worked really hard where I've, if someone does come through from somewhere else, I'm like, you have to do it, you know, like if oh you climb on the East Coast, come on in or whatever. Yeah. But to be able to go to these places specifically to get some interviews, I mean, that would be awesome. But at this point. You know, even I, I just went to the red and I didn't get anything. Mm-hmm. And it, it's because I just, I wanted to go rock climbing and I didn't really want to worry about it too much. Yeah. But people have to understand there's like logistics too of like, I need I would need a place to do it. And I was camping at Miguel's, you know, and, and I can get away with it. I can do it at a picnic table or, but also like, I didn't know anybody and I need introductions and, I, mm-hmm. and you know, I can't just walk in cold and. And besides, it's like, you know, you're out climbing for the day and you're like, oh, I got to do this interview tonight, you know, like it can infect a trip. Yeah. So most of the time I do incorporate it into my normal climbing trips, but it would be nice to to not always have to do that where I was on a trip specifically to, to go and interview somebody like like a normal journalist would. Yeah. You know, if, oh, you yeah. Know, like the the magazine would fly them there. And you'd spend a couple days with the person, you know, and all that sort of thing. And I don't necessarily want to do that specifically, but to have a little bit of a of a buffer to do that would be would be really all that I think would be the next step, if you will. So mm-hmm. I would also like it somehow to be a little bit again where and it's getting there, but it's like um, you know, to have people be like, Oh, I need to do that. Or that's something uh you know as an athlete. As an athlete a, yeah. or, or yeah, totally. That's, you know, I need to get on that thing, you know, because like I see that as evolution with Mark Maron's podcast, you mm-hmm. know, to where he got to the point where before, people want to be on the yeah, show. Yeah, and he was in the exact same boat. You can you can tell in the beginning. He was asking his friends to do it. And now, you know, publicists and people who are, you know, they've got a new album out. Or they've got this. They're coming to him. And right. this will never be like that, but it would be really nice to – like I said, to have those blow offs or that, that sort of queer look I get sometimes where they're kind of disappeared to where it's like, oh, yeah, that's something I need to do. Like this, yeah. it's a legit thing. And, you know, it's like doing Letterman or something. Right. It's like, like the, I want to be the climbing world's David Letterman. If yeah. that's, that's too much to ask, I don't know. <laughs> or. I don't know who is Letterman. He's is he still on the air? Jimmy Fallon, know. maybe Thanks, you should yeah. say. I don't know. Like, yeah, I can't I sing a dance on TV. But, for, uh, yeah, I think maybe the solution is to that Petzl and Five Ten and other companies should just fly their athletes here to the to the to the driveway. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I would agree. Well, I mean, come on, they got yeah. like a grand they could dump on that. Like, come on, there's somebody has like ten thousand downloads. It's like. 10 cents a download that's that's totally true think about it you know and with that said you know i i definitely want to like kind of take a minute to sort of thank all these people who've done it up to this point you know including athletes you know people like mayan she didn't really know me you know Mm -hmm. and and she definitely like you know made it happen and you know we found time to do it and not just to single her out but but she's the example of like a pretty well-known athlete who didn't really have any idea what I was right. trying to do and just went with it. Right. You know, so 
all these people have done it. Randy Levitt was awesome and, and one of the first guys to say like, wow, this is really cool and people should be doing this. And, and, uh, Oh yeah. So, I mean, just, just to sort of say that, like it's only an hour of your time, but it's still your time. And, and I appreciate like anybody who's done it or it's more than an hour. I mean, with the whole thing. Yeah. So, but I mean, if you're, if you're a climber and people pay you to climb, it is your job to yeah. get your name out there. So, yeah, that's what I don't. I mean, that's kind of. I, I where think I'm some like, people don't understand that. Maybe it's free. I mean, it. Yeah, it's just like free media for your athletes. Yeah. Like, and I did talk to a couple of athlete managers at the last trade show, and they mm. sort of got it. You know, like, oh yeah, I'll get I'll get these people <laughs> to do it. Like, but but at the same time, I'm kind of like I have all these sort of, you know, rules in my head about this sort of authenticity, although I hate using that word because they stole it from us, um, all, the, all the media outlets did, but I, you know, I don't want necessarily, I'll take them, but I don't want people like in here to, to spray the party line because their athlete manager told them to do it either. You know, some, I'm like walking this weird line of like, yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, because I don't think people want to hear that. I mean, maybe they do. I don't know. But well, I mean, you're, you're in control of the editing too, and it's like, sure. yeah, you can spray all day, and you can say your your sponsor's name five times every minute, but I can also cut that, yeah, if, it, yeah, if you're yeah, uninteresting, because my job is right. to deliver interesting content, you know, and like, you know, I wonder about my motivations all the time. I mean, people are like, why are you even doing this? Like, I'm some sort of weird publicity hound, like, uh, but it's sort of like. I mean, it is performance in a way. It's like it's something that I get sort of gratification out of producing, and um, but I mean, do you, you know what I'm getting at? You have yeah, a kind yeah. of weird look on your no, face. No, I'm but, just like, why would people ask that? I don't know. It's, I just it's the, like I would call those. I would tell those people to stop drinking the haterade. I mean, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but <laughs> well, I mean, just like because I do get sort of with my friends get mopey about like sometimes I'm like, oh man, it's so much work and blah blah blah, and then they're just like, well. What's what's your deal, dude? Like, why are you bothering? You know, but uh, because I'm creative and yeah. I owe the world this, yeah, thanks, you know. Man. But I tell you, it's because definitely... I don't want to just paint houses for a living, you right. dickheads. Like, <laughs> what yeah. are you doing? Totally. But, I like... was talking to Austin about that a couple of weeks ago, and he's we were talking about negative comments or something. And I'm like, I get I rarely get them, but like, I'm like, well, congratulations. Here's my <laughs> gift to the world, right? Which is a 700 word blog that I worked my ass off on. And here's your gift this little one line comment where you're being a dick. Right. Yeah. Hope you, right. hope you sleep well. Uh, it's not exactly like haters. And, you know, when I, one of the first things that put this on the map too was Hayden's interviews about Sarah Torre. Yeah. Because that was like, you know, he was in the thick of it and, and agreed to talk to me and hadn't really talked to anybody. They'd, they'd mm -hmm. signed that kind of dual statement that they'd put out in Alpinist, yep. but that was it. And I told him, like, listen, come talk to me. You know, I got your back. Like, this will be a good way to, like, really get the word out there. And it, it definitely was, like, the first thing people are like, what's this podcast thing this guy's doing? He's yeah. got, like, he's got the, the, the uh, Patagonian Taliban on there. Let's let's listen to it. And so, you know, I, why, why was I even talking about that? Because you wonder about what your motivations oh, are, like, why you're doing it. Right. Yeah. You know, and, like... It became, in a lot of ways, this like kind of piece of this historical record, like those episodes in particular. Oh yeah, you know. So it's like, I don't know. It's all mixed up in these all these ideas I have of like contributing to the the sort of dialogue. But even with that one, the reason I was talking about that is I didn't, you know, I got some some of the negativity that was like 
like washing over him elsewhere leaked into it. But what I noticed was it was like a much more measured arguments. You know, they said, well, I can't believe he said this and this and this, but it, it was like it was also almost more constructive because they had to listen to it for an hour. And they had to listen they, to before it before they actually wrote. And something. the cool yeah. thing about that was that I realized that I had sort of accomplished my mission. And what I had told Hayden, I said, "Listen, if you come on here and talk about this, I know you. I know how smart you are. You give your reasons, you know. And people like you just said have to listen to them. It's going to be really hard just to call you a dick still, you yeah. know, which is basically what most of it was. Yeah, and so." And it kind of worked because the few comments I got were more of like, I disagree with this guy. Mm-hmm. And and when you start sort of a, a, a comment with that, then you're on some basis because you're allowed to disagree with some guy, mm-hmm. especially if you say why yeah, and not just say because he's a dick. And so it's like that little bit of negativity. But since then, I, I don't get any hardly. And it, I don't know. I, I've often wondered if it's because... It's too milquetoast, and I got to be more controversial because it doesn't seem to take much for some people to like lose their shit and start going off, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe my spam filter like gets rid of them. I don't know. <laughs> no, I mean, like, I th- I feel like in my experience, if you put something positive out there and you're not being negative, then it doesn't draw the negativity as much. I mean, people will disagree with you a little bit. Like, yeah, if you're not calling people assholes, they're not going to bring right. that to your. Yeah. But anyway, I, I don't know. It's been it's been a real pleasant surprise, actually, that, yeah. you know, people aren't out there slagging me off, at least not to my face. Right. So, or actually, they never do it to your face. Not to my Facebook, I guess <laughs> you might say. You wonder, though. You just wonder. I, I'm getting slagged off for other things, but not for this, <laughs> not for this podcast. So, uh, yeah. No, I think you do it on some level because it's fun or you enjoy sure. something about it, whether yeah. it's the, like, few good emails you get that are really encouraging or mm-hmm. i mean when when it stops being fun you'll stop doing it right, right. i mean you know i re- i also have to realize that like at times i'm it's gonna feel like work oh yeah and that's what i like dude the second somebody writes you a check for it it's work yeah, right and right you're like, exactly. oh god damn it i gotta keep doing that right. podcast now but i'm just saying like i get down on it and i get burned out on it but I, I, you know, I'm like, okay, well, what about the bigger picture? And, you know, I kind of like made this sort of veiled thread a couple episodes ago to stop at 50 and people got, I didn't hear that yet. yeah, people got, I mean, it was really buried. Like, you know, like I was like, well, my original goal was you 50. You played it backwards. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the, the, the revolution nine, like, <laughs> I'm going to quit. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Um, <laughs> anyway, but people got a, you know, I, I definitely got a bunch of emails, which was great. Like, don't stop, you know, this is, thing's cool and blah, blah, blah. So what that, that was cool. Yeah. So I'll send you sandwiches and clothing. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's sandwiches, awesome. So anyway, I guess it's surprising, but it shouldn't be. But that, yeah, this, this like big wide community, you know, and that sounds sort of cheesy and cliche, but it's, it's huge. Like, you know, I get emails from all over the world, literally, you know, Mm -hmm. um, people who speak English anyway, but just the correspondence is great. And I, and I fall behind on it a lot and it, and it has nothing to do with the, the amount like people might think like, Oh, he's just inundated. No, I just end up like, I have other things to do. (laughs) So I let them pile up a little bit and then, then get back to them. But, but the amount of like correspondence and feedback has actually been awesome, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and so I can't, 
you know, the, the sort of suggestions or criticisms, um, it's pretty much, I'll get both of everything. And what I mean is, is one person will come in and, and email me and say, you know, I really prefer the, this, the episodes where you just talk straight about climbing and, you know, and just tell stories about doing roots or whatever. And then the next email will be that they don't like those. They like the ones where we talk about other stuff besides climbing, you know, or it seems like I get almost always get both, both ends of it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The only thing I'd say the, the criticism I get that I take to heart is, is yeah, when I sort of take over the interview. Which I'll probably get a bunch about this one, but this one I'm supposed to. Yeah, you are. No, like what I'm worried about is you're going to edit shit out to make yourself sound smart. Too. Yeah. And like, oh, I didn't. I shouldn't have said that. I'm going to cut that. I totally. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, I, I kind of stumbled when thinking about this, but that's, you know, I, I'm trying to improve. I have, I have my problems, and and yeah, and you know, with with that in mind too, I guess it's be good to say this is that I, I was really worried in the beginning about like every show being better. Than the last, which then ended with Craig G. Martino's number eleven episode, because <laughs> then it was going to be like every episode was worse than the last one. But you know, but and and honestly, after that one, you know, for a few more episodes, then I started to realize, like, look, this thing's two a month. Like, some of them be great, some of them be just okay. Exactly. You know, it's more of like trying to get sort of a consistency and and improve over time, and stop worrying about them. Just like every single one of them just like kicking ass you know what i mean so with that in mind i'm always looking, i mean i do take criticism to heart i try to improve on what whatever i do and mm-hmm. and i nobody's been like like harsh on me it's always like i really love the show but here's a couple things you know so huh. but not very much i don't know i mean i don't think i've there's not many things to compare me to you know a lot of i mean i do get that like Kind of, you should, you know, be more like This American Life or or fucking Radio Lab. Yeah, well, maybe you should go listen to that other climbing podcast there is out there, which oh, it does not exist. Yeah, well, a good time. First of all, the the Fitz <clears throat> does the 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 This American Life format way yes. better than I do. Not necessarily that he's like doing it exactly, well, it's, but it's absolutely different though. It's storytelling. Yeah, yeah. This but is not. the other thing I just say is like, yeah, well, you know, have you ever listened to the end of their credits? Like, <laughs> yeah. produced by this person, this person, this person, sound engineering by this person and this person, and then with an endowment from this place and with money from NPR. With I'm just like, you can suck it. I'm doing this <laughs> yeah, by myself. Like, maybe, maybe your uncle is a CEO of a large right, corporation. But every, Help me out with that. Shit. I just got an email from a dude that said. I put you right in there with, and he said, "This American Life" in Radio Lab, and I was just like, yeah. "Suck it, Robert Corwich." <laughs> like, uh, okay, last last question. Okay, good. Yeah, are you getting you getting tired of talking? Mm-hmm. What what has been the best part of this entire thing? Uh, what we just talked about. Well, yeah, I, I mean, it is connected to what I just said, but. In yeah. terms of, of that community thing. I mean, I don't, you know, what I, what I do here is really like entertainment. Um, I, it's not, you know, it's not really that deep. So I don't necessarily get the, you know, you've, you've helped me, you know, straighten my life out kind of thing. Cause I think a lot of things that you write, you know, it does, it does talk about that kind of, uh, sort of deeper, I don't want to say spirituality, but that connection to the outdoors that brings those cr- kind of benefits. I mean, we're definitely goofing around here. 
But yeah, I mean, I get, I do get a lot of emails about people who, I mean, that's a really common thing of like, you keep me stoked. Like I do this job, I sit in this cubicle and this is what I listen to, to keep me going. Um, I have actually motivated people to, to, un, for better or worse, like, you know, quit their jobs and like split that's, or that's whatever. A good one. So. You gotta, you gotta like hash that <laughs> one like, That's fine. Yeah. People who quit their one jobs. One of those people is going to find me and punch me in the eye, you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this like bearded homeless man yeah, like comes dumpster. up and clocks me in the eye. I'll be like, it was cause of you. I used to, <laughs> now I live in the Joshua tree. Right. So, I mean, that's a real motivation. You know, it's also, it is mo or sort of not motivating, but you know, when I, started this thing a lot of my sort of friends that that reside more in the cool kids club um you know either within climbing media or within these companies you know i could tell they sort of humored me and were skeptical and like well it, it's a what or yeah your little thing you know oh and, they said that oh yeah for sure you know yeah, and uh, so it's been really kind of uh, the recognition that I am getting from sort of that end of things as well has been gratifying in a sense of like you know I am this kind of upstart I like this underdog sort of thing you know I've I included you in that group and me hall and in my consortium of of underground media although like I said you're you're on review but um, <laughs> the Camp Three Collective yeah but. Um, you know, so that's also been kind of gratifying that that I have created this voice that that is getting kind of recognized as something of an authority within within the kind of groups of media. Mm -hmm. um, I want to continue to to build that. I don't ever want this. I mean, we goof around a lot on here, but underlying it is still this very serious. You know, we take climbing seriously in this kind of like roundabout way from joking about it. I mean. Taking again the episode with with Hayden and Andrew, where Hayden talked about the ogre. I mean, we went from joking, you know, hysterically to talking about you know guys almost dying in the mountains and mm -hmm. back around again. So I don't ever want it to be super farcical. Even if we do satire, satire's got that under underneath it, which is something I kind of have thought about getting into as well. Um, maybe video satire or something like that. But but anyway, so it's like. You know, that's real gratifying to feel like there is this movement to where people are like, yeah, that's the normal cast. Like, that's that guy. And he, it, it's entertaining, but they also respect the voice that I have in terms of my sort of authority with it. And, and that's nice to know um, that I haven't wasted all these years just like I've actually accumulated some sort of knowledge that sort of deserves a little bit of respect, I guess. <laughs> I would say that you give people the opportunity to sit around a campfire or be a fly on the wall with a conversation that they would never have a chance to be a part of had you not started doing this. Like, I mean, when am I going to get to talk to Henry Barber about climbing, you know? But yeah, I mean, that's that's got to be, I don't know, that's got to be rewarding that you're giving that to people, you know, in a way that there's no other media form that they could do that with, you know? I mean, they're not going to sit through an hour video interview with somebody right unless it's on 60 minutes which is you know i guess a bigger deal but like yeah but the, they they produce i mean you know but yeah, you, yeah. people have asked me always ask me well what about video it's like what is it going to add to it yeah well, you can see us opening beers and like well those yeah. people don't understand podcasting yeah and that's the thing is that part of it is that obviously you don't have to be captivated to it you can drive you yeah. can whatever 
but yeah, I believe in podcasting too, which we haven't really talked about, but we, we don't need to get into it. But I realized time. it's this medium that is really perfect for conveying like this amount of information or these long form stories. Mm-hmm. And those that love it, love it because of that. But the podcasting thing is like, it's the, it's the current voice of the people in my opinion, like, because we can create this here on this little crappy, uh, you know, RV, mm-hmm. you know, like my handheld, I always tell these people, but my little like hundred dollar handheld MP3 recorder, like in like 1989, you needed a truck <laughs> just to do that. Like, let alone get the video component, like one of those big news trucks yep. just to do that. Like it's so compressed now that it, it, it's become this way of like creating these things and putting them on the internet and what the hell, you yeah. know? So Kids get off my lawn. No. Yeah, so I totally believe in it as huh. as this like media form, and I believe climbing in climbing as this transformative experience for people, and so that's kind of where the two things meet, you know. Mm-hmm. That's all my questions. Okay. Do I thank you for being on your show now? Is that, is that how we do this? Since yeah, I'm the host? you're welcome for uh, for coming in here now. <laughs> Actually, I want to thank you a lot uh, for coming and doing this. I mean, it, you you made a detour to come here and and. And uh, oh, yeah. interview me, so I appreciate that. That's Absolutely, awesome, dude. And uh, the one thing too is that I wanted to say, which I say a lot, but like, but a lot of people have actually donated money to this thing. Um, that's the primary income. I think I'll have to do the numbers at the end of the year, but uh, definitely in the first year it was. And um, that's also this awesome vote of confidence. Really, honestly, the money has almost exclusively gone back into the show. I say almost because I've kind of lost track. But but for the longest time, I mean, it was buying the stickers and it was buying equipment. It was or repaying myself for equipment or whatever. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I totally realize that digging into your pocket to, like, give money to this guy that you don't know what he's doing with it. And you don't know how many other people are doing it. So it's a really tricky thing. But yeah. It's the key to this whole thing is this aggregation of, of listeners, you know, small donations to keep these things going. And I just realized that, you know, it takes a lot to, to stand up and even give me a couple bucks. And, and so I just want to kind of make sure that that gets out there, that it's totally appreciated and it, I'm not cynical about it whatsoever. Um, and I, I realize that it's like an important step that somebody's made to support this thing, so... Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. For the people, by the people. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So. All right. right let's on, call man. it good, man. Yeah. See what we get out of this one. I'd like to hear it. You could probably say I'm difficult. I probably talk too much. It's a nasty crush I'm usually only waiting For you to stop talking So that I can Concerning two-way streets I have to say That I am not a fan I am the greatest mother
Catch up with Great. House, maybe. Great. Great to see yeah. you. Yeah. Good days. Good days. Nice to see you. What a wanker. What a wanker. No talent. She's got this much talent. Yeah. This we carry. We had to apologise for him with our set. That's right. People yeah. were still booing him when we were all the time. It's all hard. It's all bored.